Hello and welcome everyone uh, to today's session. We're going to be talking about battery metals and uh, trying to understand the new ecosystem that we're seeing out there. We've seen uh, big changes geopolitically. We've seen the LME come hard up against it uh, when it came to nickel. Uh, and we're going to talk to a couple of uh, stalwarts in the industry. We're speaking today with uh, James Calloway, executive chairman and former chairman of Oracobre from when it was a little tiddler. He'll tell you a bit more about that. And uh, he's representing Ioneer. ASX uh, listed uh, company. And we've also got Derek Weyrich, who's the President and CEO of Palladium One. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. Um, if I may, um, can I get uh, you, James and Derek, to just introduce yourselves and I'll pick it up from there with some questions. James? Sure, fine. Uh, my name is James Calloway. I'm the Executive Chairman of Ioneer Limited. We're an ASX 300 company uh, and we are focused on uh, the development of Rhyolite Ridge in uh, Nevada. Uh, and our uh, project is a 22,000 ton per year lithium project, but it, with a co-product of about 175,000 tons per year of boric acid. Uh, we're the most advanced lithium project in the United States. Uh, we are in a very heightened state of, of readiness to start construction. Uh, we are very well financed. Uh, we have a market cap, cap of about 1.4 billion Aussie. Uh, we've got plenty of cash to do the, all the final work to get to FID. And uh, you know we're in a very near term position to bring quadruple America's lithium production. Uh, uh, I have a long background in the lithium space, uh, having been the chairman of Oracobre for the, all its formative years. Uh, and then for the last five years, I've been focusing as executive chairman of, of Ioneer. And with that, my name is Derek Wayrosh. I'm the president and CEO of Palladium One Mining. We're listed on the TSXV in Canada, and we're focused on the development and exploration of green transportation metals in uh, very safe and secure jurisdictions. We're operating both in Finland, so in Scandinavia, as well as Canada. We have existing uh, resources in, in Finland of uh, palladium dominant with copper, nickel, uh, platinum and uh, gold credits. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Well, look, thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, we are, we are missing um, someone else, but we're going to crack on. We think we we think we've got the brains trust here, so I, I think we'll learn a lot. And if you're a retail investor, maybe pick up a, a few ideas or two along the way too. So. Look, the, the, the world has changed. Obviously, recent events in uh, Ukraine um, have changed things dramatically. We've got sanctions on multiple uh, commodities. Um, however, the basic thematic and the basic supply demand numbers for a lot of the battery metals have not changed. So how does, how does it change your business, uh, James? I mean, how do you need to adapt or is it business as usual? Well, I think that you know we as as suppliers of of critical materials, uh, we respond to what our customers are interested in, and I think that one of the things that we probably can all agree on for those that are at the point where you're doing serious offtake agreements, uh, you learn very quickly that the, that that these customers are very concerned about their supply. Uh, it, it's been very much elevated, not only for political reasons that you talked about, both in Russia, but also in concerns about China concentration. Uh, but I think that more importantly, it's just fundamentals, uh, at least in lithium. There's a big concern that, that the molecules just might not be there for the growth that's being put in place uh, by the OEM. So, 
you know, our business is to provide those materials as fast as we can and as, as effective as we can to their supply chains, particularly, by the way, in the United States, where we focus uh, very much on building supply chains that start from the base materials all the way through the vehicles, all residing in the United States. This is a key focus that, that we're seeing and a change in the nature of, of, of our interaction with the, the primary customers. What's your take, Derek? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that uh, completely. And I think as a result of recent events in Europe, I think there's a bit of a movement of deglobalization that's taking place. And there's going to be a few more protectionist uh, borders put up. So, you know, being able to supply commodities to uh, fulfill the demand expectations from jurisdictions that have robust mining and development laws, I think is really important. But also, you know, what we're seeing is a change in the conversations with the uh, the end customers. And, we, you know, we see automotive manufacturers engaging more and more with the, the mining companies, looking at ways to secure the supply for their product. And they may bypass the conventional markets uh, in order just to make sure that they can keep putting product uh, into the market for that consumers are demanding. Well, it's kind of fascinating. You used the phrase deglobalization, which was which is a big topic, but it, which potentially leads on to um, you know bifurcation of pricing. Um, we're seeing alliances formed, but you'd, you'd expect Russia, China, but you've got India in the mix. You've got Africa sort of turning into Switzerland. They're, they're not not ready to um, take sides either. You, you feel there's going to be new alliances, new markets, and a kind of um, it's going, to, it's, going to, it's, going to, it's going to create problems around pricing, don't you think, James? Well, I mean, the, 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 you know, when you look at, at least in the lithium space, uh, the, you know, the elephant in the room, of course, has been for a long time China. Uh, and, and I mean, I think people have been trying to uh, make accommodation for the, 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 the amount of material that has to go through China. And there's a general discomfort with that. So I don't think that's that that's not driven off of the most recent events in, in the Ukraine. But like, for instance, a, a little known discussion uh, should be talked about is the fact that in Russia, there's actually a significant amount of final processing that exists in Russia that then flows back into Europe. Well, you know, that's over. I mean, you know, that used to be the, the answer. Well, we, we don't have final processing in Europe, but we can ship it over to Russia and then they'll send it back to us. That's a great example of, you know, the end of, of globalization. I mean, that, 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 that story has stopped. Uh, so I don't know. I, I look at this and I think uh, that people are not, I don't think in my market, people are spending as much time worrying about Ukraine uh, in general. I think they're really just focused on fundamentals. And the fundamentals are that we're about to have a train wreck about 2025. Okay, that, that, that you cannot conjure up a scenario given the long lead times for building capacity. I mean, you know, we both deal with this thing that people tend to miss in this modern age is building these capabilities, these mines and these production facilities takes years and incredible amounts of capital and you can't respond quickly. So we need a longer view. And I think that the OEMs and others are starting to say, wait, you know, we need to know where this supply is coming from and we're really worried about 2025. And then it gets, and by the way, the curve accelerates between 2025 and 30, uh, what they need. And so they can't even figure out how to get to 25. And then when they start looking between 25 and 2030, 
panic sets in. Uh, so I think we have to be there to try to encourage government policy to move these things forward more quickly. Uh, we've got to have the engineering completed and, and all the work done so that we can go into construction. And then even then it takes two years to build some of these facilities. So I, I think we're in a big, I personally think we're in a crisis that's independent of Ukraine. Okay. It, it, it is what I think. I, I think that's fascinating because, um, well, <laughs> I couldn't help but smile when you said um, move quickly and government in the same sentence. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> we, because because you're right, it takes time to build these infrastructures. And, and it's, we're not just seeing it with the battery metals, we're seeing it with, with, with uranium um, uh, as well and, 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 a, and a, few, a few other commodities where people are saying, we, if we are going to create these ecosystems um, because we want it to be defensible, we want these critical mineralists to be defensible, it becomes highly inefficient. And highly inefficient projects, I guess, make bankers nervous. They need to understand what it's going to do to pricing. Sorry to bring it back to pricing, but ultimately, as an ex-banker, I'm, I'm concerned about how do I make my money? So government's part of the solution. Trying to understand pricing is part of the solution and expediting our own infrastructure build process and financing it. Those are tough asks in in, a, in the short time frame, which people are uh, talking about naming for in terms of this supply deficit and name any commodity you want. Um, I mean, Derek, do you see a train wreck coming down the line too? Oh, I absolutely do. Right, We're being asked as, as a mining industry to supply product, yet we're inhibited by governments acting slowly to allow us to advance projects. And we see that in many, many jurisdictions. And on the other side of the table, you've got another government representative saying, let's hurry up and let's uh, decarbonize. And we're going to have all these initiatives and incentives to accelerate demand. And, the, and you know, in the case of the automotive industry, you see the automotive uh, manufacturers coming up with all sorts of targets to uh, change their product offerings. But there's a gap in, uh, in the supply chain, and that is the accelerated permitting and development of uh, projects. And I think what's really going to be uh, critical and, uh, and people generally, I think, are becoming aware of this is that the governments are now going to have to put up or just shut up with regards to these aspirational targets that, uh, that they're espousing constantly. And they're need, going to need to assist us as miners and developers to uh, provide the, uh, the security. But you know, also speaking about cost, I think the the, uh, the other thing to think about is we're going to see more analysis of the supply chain and more traceability because there's going to be more and more of that. I want to buy something that was made at home mentality, and the only way you're going to be able to determine that is having traceability over your supply chain. We've seen that very much in the cobalt space because of the proportion of uh, cobalt coming out of the DRC. And um, I think we're going to see that in uh, many other commodities as well. I couldn't agree with you, really couldn't agree with you more, everything you just said. And I, and I, there is a mismatch. It's, it, it, you, you, as a developer of big projects, you, you sometimes feel like your neck's going to break off because you're, you know, on the one hand, you're, you're, every day there's some announcement of another, you know, multi-billion dollar factory going in and you hear, you know, the politicians talking about the, you know, that if we don't move quickly, we, we run into catastrophic situation with the, with the environment that's maybe irreversible. And so there's all this passion about this, but then you, then you get to the, the bottom line and you run into policymakers who say, well, we, you know, we like mm -hmm. that, but we really don't like mining, you know, are we, 
you know, mining has a, a bad uh, history with politicians, uh, particularly those on the, the more progressive side. And I, I am a progressive, so I, you know, sometimes it's stunned by the whole thing. Uh, and, and, and the other thing is we have a siloed system of uh, review. So, you know, you find yourself in these sort of strange worlds as a practical matter. You're, 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 you're having to talk to somebody who can only talk about some little sliver of the overall implications of what you're doing, but you're stuck there. <laughs> you're, you're stuck in this policy paralysis because they have a blocking capability over one little thing. And, and if you try to say, well, what about all these major issues and you know these major climactic issues, they, they, they look at you and say, well, I, I agree with you, but I can't talk about that because I'm focused on my little piece of the sliver of the world, but they can block you or slow you. And so I do think, by the way, it's interesting this week that the president of the United States it's coming out with the you know, Defense Production Act, uh, we think, uh, statement that basically says it's time to get on with it in the United States. And I think that while he's caveating it all very carefully with, well, we have to do it with the right environmental rules and you know, we got to follow the procedures, but we need to get it done. It does help because it, when the president speaks about our plight, uh, at least it keeps everybody focused on the, the fundamental of let's get on with it. And uh, so that's pretty interesting new uh, development uh, in the last few days here in the United States. Good reference issue. You can look at it from the other side as well, because there's recently been a project in, in the northern United States that has been blocked from an environmental perspective uh, multiple times. It's a very significant potential provider to the battery metal space. So on the one hand, you've got these actions that are blocking the advancement of, of projects that have been, you know, had a lot of engineering and investment research done on them. And then a couple of weeks later, oh, we think we should move things forward. So it's this sucking and blowing that doesn't work. But I think for from an investor's perspective, the setup here is very good because from a mass psychology perspective, I think what we're going to see is, is, the fulfillment to some degree. I, I'm, I'm not a believer in, in these demand forecasts are actually real. I think it's going to be somewhat less than that, but there's certainly going to be a, a, an increase in the uh, the demand. And there's going to be coming a, a crunch point. So getting yourself positioned in projects or companies or commodities that you think are going to be able to take and advantage of an environment where suddenly people say, okay, now we got to get at it and we got to start making the metal. I agree. That, that's that's where you're going to make your money. Now we don't know when that band-aid is going to be pulled off. It's might coming. Be, it's coming. So it, I think right now, from for an investor, it's about positioning yourself in what you believe in and and you want to trade in where you've got teams that can deliver, and you're happy with the jurisdictional risk or lack thereof, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it, it, no, I agree. it's interesting okay. times, um, gentlemen. It reminds me, um, I, I, I kind of want to get onto what companies can do to take a bit more control because we're sitting there waiting for the government. Um, again, we've seen this in vanadium, we've seen this uranium, we've seen this in multiple multiple commodities where you're hoping for government to kind of step in and do something quickly. And whatever Biden uh, says and, 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 and does is... Well, you proof's in the pudding, right? Yeah, we we saw like a, a, a German, uh, I think it's called the uh, economy minister, yesterday make a statement um, asking people to use a little bit less uh, energy at home. Um, 
because they, they haven't got a solution for or a quick fix for decisions that they they should have been making over the last ten years. Um, so I kind of almost expect people, to, a minister, to step up and say, "Would you mind driving fewer cars or drive less often?" Or you know, it, it, the politicians need to be in, in step change with industry, but you guys need to drive that. We, we were talking to a company recently about the um, European Battery Alliance um, who have seemingly got their act together a little bit and they are seeing um conversations around um you know the the question around um tariffs and incentives and funding and um speeding up the red or removing the red red tape and speeding up the process of land companies to build quicker i mean clearly the americans are talking that game but you you're saying you're not seeing it on the ground yet well, I think no, I wouldn't say that. I think you are seeing it. it. It's coming, and I think you know to answer your initial question there, it's very important for uh, companies to engage with government and get involved and have the voice heard. Because if you hear something enough times, maybe at some point in time you're, you're going to react. And as part of that, like I'm a member of the Canadian or the Critical Minerals Council for uh, for Canada. And that's, you know, a, a group where we have the access to the government and their voices can be heard. And it's, it's, it's fairly new. Canada is certainly behind Europe. But I think those engagements and those having those conversations need to start earlier or as early as possible. But if you don't have it, I think you're going to be stuck. And that's the reason that I happen to be on that particular council. You know, I would agree with you again. It seems like we, we talked to each other about all this, agreeing on everything. But I, I do think that also it's, it, I think it's important in the engagement with government that it's not just the miners by themselves. I, I, you know, the miners by themselves have a, a limit, at least in the United States, have a limited voice. OK, but where the bigger voice is, and that's what's coming now, is the OEMs who are engaging in this process now are very concerned, very, very concerned about these huge capital investments they're making and having like the chip, the chip uh, disaster on steroids. That's what they're worried about. When they start going to Washington with the, the people that are producing the materials, say, look, you know, hundreds of thousands of jobs are at stake here. And, you know, we're making multi tens of billions of dollars of investments. And, you know, we need this material. Okay, and we're union, we're big union shops, and you know, so you get the unions supportive, et cetera, et cetera. That has more influence than you know the mining association showing up, you know. So before they never were willing to really do that, but I think now, certainly in our work, we're seeing a, a much more complete engagement across the entire supply chain, all coming together to the government saying, now look, you know, this is serious business now. And I think that. That's finally sinking in that something has to give here. Uh, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, even if you have such an environment, you've got a tremendous amount of time that you have to have already invested to be ready to go through the, the, the environmental process. Now, we've done that. We've been at it for five years and spent $120 million on engineering on our project. So, you know, we, we are ready and we're really the only big project that's ready so, you know, part of what you said is right. You've got to be putting in place with good management teams, with really good engineering, with really good technical work so that you are ready when the moment arrives. And I think that the moment's arriving for the people that have solid people working hard 
and, and have projects ready. And I think that's one thing we can control. We can control doing our own work, doing our environmental reviews, doing all of our testing, having our engineering and our flow sheets fully understood, our in detailed engineering ready to go, finance essentially in place so that we are able to respond when it comes. And I think it's coming. I, I think you're probably going to agree with me about this. Oh, I'd absolutely agree. And, and I also suggest there's another little complication that uh, makes this whole situation that we're living in right now uh, much more difficult to understand and to, and to forecast. And that's really the inflationary environment that we're seeing. So if you look right now at fuel prices, you know, I happen to be in, in Northern Europe right now, and they're a hell of a lot higher, or a heck of a lot higher than they were last time I was here. Same thing in Canada and, and the United States, et cetera. Well, the, the average consumer that now sees the, the cost of filling up that gas tank doubling or tripling is going to have a reaction. And maybe they're going to say, you know what, maybe it's now time to move across to that electrified vehicle. However, you look at the underlying costs of the metals going into that electric vehicle, and that's already a premium product. So now you've got a consumer that says, I'm either going to pay this, in, this higher cost every time I go to the pump, or I'm going to have a bigger upfront cost to be part of the decarbonization solution. While we're also seeing huge inflation on the food side of things. And I don't think that that's completely rolled through the system at this point in time. I think we're going to continue to see a lot of inflation there. So, you know, you start thinking about the average consumer and saying, okay, you know, I've got so much money to spend. I've got to pay my rent or my mortgage and my food and, you know, make sure the kids are clothed and can go to school. So, you know, different people are going to make different decisions with regards to the transition to different modes of uh, mobility. And, you know, that's part, a big part of the reason why I'm not at this time fully buying the demand forecast. I think there's going to be a fairly protracted transitional period that uh, comes in play. And um, again, we, we don't know the timing. So if I'm an investor thinking about this space, I've got two extremes and the answer is going to be somewhere in the middle. And the one extreme is we're going to be fully electrified by, you know, 2030, 2035, whatever the number is. Whereas the consumer might say, my God, the price of nickel has now gone up to $15 a pound. And instead of buying that car that previously just the metal content for the battery was $3,500 or $4,000. Now it's going to be that much higher. That's a huge burden. Well, you know, I agree with you. I was, I, I, and I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, you know, the signals to the retail market for buying electric car versus not a car. I don't know if most consumers sit around and think about nickel prices per ton or that, but they know it because the the sticker price goes up. Okay, and how that gets passed on to the consumers is a very interesting question, and there's a it's a very dynamic thing. So it's hard. It's complicated. Question, but I agree with you. It's a concern I have, and certainly if you have lithium prices, like for instance in uh, battery material, at fifty thousand dollars a ton, I mean, you know, it has significant impact. Now, I'm, I'm, interestingly though, if you look at actually what how prices are being set uh, in in the contracts, what's happening is nobody uh, on any scale, little spot prices. It's one thing, be anything, but. You know, China spot price, it could be, you know, whatever. But when you start talking about long-term serious offtake agreements with major customers, 
nobody's talking about those prices. Okay. What, what the, the conversation really is about floors and ceilings and about how we structure floors and ceilings with a float floating off of some indexes. Nobody can come right now to a fixed point contract that has any duration or size. So to solve that problem, we're, everyone who's seriously working on this, and I know you know this, are working on floors and ceilings, okay? And what's interesting is that the floors that people are willing to set now are sufficient to create adequate economic incentive to build, even in an inflationary condition, and, and offer enough headroom for a spectacular return. But it, we're not talking about $50,000 a ton material, okay? And I just say that my general view is that the floors and ceilings for lithium are somewhere between, and I'm talking about like battery grade hydroxide, 13, 14,000 for a floor and say 25 to $30,000 for a ceiling. Okay. That's, and then floating with an index. That's, that's what, that's the real conversation right now, by the way. Uh, so I, I do think that that's encouraging because if you look at fifty or sixty thousand dollars, you start having in your mind like, "Wow, that really looks terrible." But the first part of that conversation is, "I need security of supply." First now question. we can have a now we now we can have a conversation about that that floor and ceiling pricing. But I first got to know that your supply chain and uh, where your 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 source of materials is, et cetera, meets my prerequisites. And I think no there's question. an evolution on those prerequisites. The second question is price. By the way, and I just, I'm sorry, this is a very interesting conversation. I, I, I just like to say that also that at, at the industry level, at least in my, my particular little part of it, the lithium side of this, I'm sure it's different in each one of the segments. But mm -hmm. in our case, uh, what, 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 where the, a lot of focus is going is how do you create end-to-end -end supply chains that are domestic, okay? Uh, because... What, what you find out when you dig into the details is that there are certain parts of the supply chain that seem quite robust, more than enough investment, like for instance, from the pack, from the pack to the car. We don't we shouldn't spend too much time worrying about that right now. Uh, mm -hmm. When you move back, even in the start in the United States, start talking about cathode manufacturing, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot going on there and it looks encouraging. But then you get into the processing from technical grade carbonate to very high performance uh, uh, lithium hydroxide. And, you know, there, there's a little hole there. And mm -hmm. but the good news is everybody, because they're so focused on this thing you talked about earlier, this, you know, these, the, the domestication of a complete supply chain, that creates a uh, focus for everybody on making sure there's no gaps in the supply. Okay. Which is also an opportunity for investors if they can participate and in, 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 in you know, identify those gaps. Components, exactly. And I do think that that is what's happening is you're starting to see maturities beginning to set in and, and, a, and a real focus on the details because, you know, any break in, the, in that, that supply chain creates external vulnerabilities. And so, I, you know, really it's to your point, and I think we, we're – that's encouraging to see how focused everybody is on making sure that we have complete supply chains in the United States. And I think we're going to have not a hundred percent. I don't think we have in the United States ability to provide a hundred percent of our own material, but I'm actually kind of optimistic with some intelligent policy and with a lot of hard work that we can probably 
come up with, you know, 50% of our, our supply domestically, 50, 60% may be able to be achieved. Yeah, and it doesn't all have to be domestic. You just have oh. to have security of supply. So there's a plan B. Yes, I may like X percent to, to pick a number uh, domestically, but it doesn't really need to. Maybe I have a friendly neighbor country that I want to get supply from, right? You think about Canada, the U.S. Canada is a very safe and secure jurisdiction um, from a political perspective. But, you know, I suspect, I suspect the U.S. ought to be fairly happy with supply there. And if you think about the European environment, I think if you're a member of the EU, it's all good. It's not so worried about one country over the other. So, you know, there's a lot of layers of this onion that need to get peeled and thought through. But fundamentally, can we as industry or, you know, or, or individuals, if you're thinking about vaccines, if you want to go back to that, can we have security? of supply of what we need and what are the, the measures that uh, we can put in place to make sure it happens. I agree with you. And I, th I think if you look at the example, Europe, obviously with the issue of you know, shut shutting down of um, Nord Stream 1 and 2, um, we're trying to reduce their reliance on, on Russian gas and oil. Um, I've turned to North America and said, obviously, uh, you're, our, you're our allies. Um, we'd like to like you to help us kind of fill that void, as it were. But then you, you've got, in the same breath, you've got Canada and allies saying, we're going to reduce our production of fossil fuel by 40% by 2030. So there's no reliable uh, ally because politically they've got their own agenda. And, you know, as, as a North American more broadly, you're going to, you are going to have to try and um, work out what's real and what's not. Because to your point earlier, Derek, you're saying, you're not quite sure about the the demand numbers because people may be doing a time and motion study and working out what's when is the most efficient time for me to move from my you know internal combustion engine through to, to battery and may delay that. Likewise, we've seen in multiple industries what companies claim to be able to produce by X date doesn't always match the reality of the situation. So th there's a lot of variables. Oh, and to your point on on, on politics, you, you know, you, we, we talk about the energy situation there. Canada's talking about decarbonization, yet, you know, the Keystone Pipeline has been a hot topic. Uh, you know, why wouldn't we complete that construction to be able to provide the energy down into the U.S.? The darn thing already comes to the border. Instead, we've got the U.S. having a conversation with Venezuela. I would suggest it's probably a... a um, a more challenging jurisdiction, if an environmental, perhaps from a labor uh, perspective as well. Like, how, how does that logic make any sense, right? So is, I think this is where we have the problem that we've got um, an environment globally where politicians take decisions to stay in office and in power versus taking a position and saying, what's the best thing to do in the situation for the masses? Okay, I agree. And, and, and let me, you kept talking about, you know, the, the question of the uncertainty of, of demand and, and its impact by higher prices and other things, and, you know, trade-offs and this transition. And I generally agree that it, there's a real possibility it's a slower transition because we don't put in place the capacity to make the transition even more than the demand. But, but I'll tell you where, you know, if you want to talk about a little boogaboo, one of those things I worry about every day is I look at sort of, let's talk, let's call it the broader analyst community. Okay. Whether they're independent analysts or parts of investment banks, regardless of those. 
that I think there's a tendency to take what companies say is going to be their production profile and timeline and just take it almost at will, maybe do a little discount, whatever that means, and then throw it into a big spreadsheet. And everybody looks and adds it all up and says, wow, we're going to, you know, have all this production. But, you know, having built a large lithium production, about to build my second one, I look around at all these projects that are on that list. And I think they don't even have a fundamental flow sheet or they haven't done. I mean, they're so far from that. And, 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 and so I'm on the demand side, I, I agree with you that there's a risk that it, it will be slower, but I'm more concerned about the exaggeration of the amount of production that's coming. And that, that creates a mismatch in all scenarios, as far as I'm concerned. So I, I think the supply side is the, the main concern that everyone should have right now. That, I just. Well, yeah, and I agree. And, you know, I call what you described there spreadsheet mining. I can sit at my desk and plan something out, but like, is it real? And this is where I think, you know, the investors need to be looking at the, uh, the companies and, you know, trying to figure out, are they spreadsheet mining or are they actually doing the heavy lifting? Where are they with regards to, for example, earlier stage projects such as ourselves? Have they even initiated baseline environmental study? What are the gating issues once they've got the information, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's layers and layers of complexity here. So, you know, this is a complex industry. It has lots of social issues. It's got reputational issues. And I think, um, as an industry, we need to be forthright and transparent and, and also, you know, really educating people because, you know, the retail for, uh, investor, for example, may not know some of these nuances. So it's incumbent upon us to talk about them, to make them aware that you should be asking the question, you know, have, get them to explain metallurgy a little bit more. Why, yeah, is this, you know, why is this going to work? Why is that not going to work? Well, well, by the way, you know, it's interesting is I agree with you. Metallurgy, you know, I'm obsessed with, with flow sheets and metallurgy. I, I, you know, I've got, we got a master's degree in, you know, in, in philosophy, but I've spent the last year studying flow sheets with really smart chemists. And, and, and you know, but it's hard to get people to focus on this. I mean, they, they want the headlines and, 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 and to some extent, the stock market actually uh, uh, rewards the big talkers, okay, and the, and the exaggerators more than the people who say, you know what, I'm going to get my head down like we are, and I'm sure it can tell you as well. You know, w- w- my team, we spend our time focusing on delivering, okay, because enduring value, enduring value for shareholders and growth and value comes from those that actually can execute against this difficult objective. I mean, I look at my example in Aura Cobre, you know, I mean, we've turned that from over $27 million. It's now like six, $7 billion business with real, it's a real business. You know, people that have been our shareholders at Aura Cobre have done extraordinarily well. Okay. Same thing at Ioneer. We're totally focused at Ioneer. I mean, we do not spend our time trying to go to every conference and promote ourselves. We focus on delivering great engineering, great uh, pilot plants that have been run in long periods of time to make sure we understand our, our flow sheets properly. We have, you know, tested and tested and tested so that we are ready, you know, to do this and, you know, building a billion dollar facility from scratch. Okay. You know, 
out in the middle of nowhere. Okay. If you're not puckered up and you're not working yourself to death and trying to deal with risk management all the time and concentrating, that means you're just, you're not really doing it. And I mean, it's to your point. And I, 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 I think that the investors would be best served if they spent time asking the question, who the hell are these people that are behind these projects? You know, how many times have they ever delivered anything? Okay. That actually worked. Okay. Cause if you just took those two <laughs> criteria and you went across at least the lithium space, about two thirds of these supposed projects are by people who've never done it in their life. So the chances that they're going to actually do it is low. So you can differentiate there. And then of course you need to understand the, the quality of the, the rocks or the quality of the materials because Bad chemistry in lithium is bad chemistry. And we're now having a, by the way, in my opinion, a delusional conversation uh, about direct lithium extraction. I mean, you just want to talk about a funny one, you know, see, it's, it's, it's the perfect uh, storm because for, for misunderstanding, because the d- direct lithium extraction idea is applied to lousy, mostly lousy chemistry. Okay, it's trying to bail out projects that don't make it using known understanding. Okay, and then you got the black box science guys who are sitting over here and playing around with material sciences and on absorbance and other things, and they've never built an operating procedure in their life. Okay, and they're come together to tell the story to the market. Oh, we are, you know, this is the answer to all of our problems but they haven't produced a ton yet. Okay. So I think that that kind of stuff, okay. Gets a lot of press and it even plays into the, the environmentalist because they, they envision, you know, thermal flows where they can just, you know, produce geothermal heat. And then we just pluck the lithium out. It's just very interesting and shoot it right back down. All the contaminants, everything goes back down in the hole. And we just have this virtuous loop. The problem is it hadn't happened. Okay, and we're we're having expectations about this that I, in my opinion, are great for the promoters, but dangerous, very, very dangerous for realistic uh, demand. I mean, supply expectation. That's that's you know a big big problem. And maybe not be the same in your industry, but over on my side, this is a big deal. Yeah. Well, and I think you know investors need to take the time to educate themselves as well. You know, we've got we've got a system in Canada that I think is 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 pretty good. You know, it, it's got its warts as well, but you know, it's the National Instrument Forty Three One Hundred One. If you actually want, if if you actually want to think about this space and investing in this area, read them. Go 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 download it. It's publicly available for any of the public companies, right? The smaller ones and majors get get away with not doing it. But go read the thing. And you know what? Read a bunch of them. Get yourself educated. You'll get a flavor for what is important. And if you've done enough uh, reading and educating, you're going to get a sense as to, you know, what questions you, you might want to ask of management. And, you know, I highly encourage people to uh, to do that all the time. And I love it when I'm at, you know, a, a retail conference like the PDAC, which is coming up in, in June. And you, and you get these Young people are still in university or they're, they just graduated and they say, you know, I'm really interested in, in and they're treating the investing as, as, as a video game, right? This is trading in and out and they've got no clue what they're doing. They say, how can I get better? Like, go read the darn reports and educate yourself some more. 
Well, and by the way, that that 43101 uh, standard is a very high quality standard for hmm. looking at resources. And I but agree it's with only you. it's the, the 43101 standard. It's only a prescriptive format for disclosing information. Correct. They're not all the same. You got to read it. You know, well, a question way, I get a lot is, do you have one? Sure, I've got one. The other guy might qualities, too. But, but they're different qualities of them. And, and different qualities, they're different st- statuses of, uh, of projects. You got to educate yourself. It's sometimes, it's sometimes what they leave out that is the concerning uh, part of that. Um, now, gentlemen, I, you, you did give me a t- time frame to work to. And I, you're enjoying this as much as I am. I'm just subconscious uh, that perhaps we've, we've opened up a, a can of worms of, of, of fantastic ideas for the retail guys, and maybe it's something we need to, we can, need to come back to because um, there's there's a, there's a lot of rabbit holes that we can we can go down. But look, I, if you're okay, I, I think we'll I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, we'll look at the questions that come back in, maybe get them over to you. And maybe if that's something that you, you want to follow up on, um, we can, we can do that. But for retail investors, listen to these two guys. You're not going to find smarter, um, in, in the, in the mining space. I think some big topics discussed today, certainly around, um, what mining companies need to do to take a little bit more control, what's going on geopolitically, um, out there, what, what you need to do. And so a degree of honesty with yourself, uh, degree of honesty from the uh, mining industry, the companies themselves, and uh, education, 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 I think it seems to be the the, the call from Derek, certainly, and, and, and James, too, I suspect. So, gentlemen, thank you for your time. Um, do you want to leave us all with one thought? Well, my one thought would be, uh, you know, this is a great time to be investing in the industry. Do it with people that understand what they're doing and are committed, deeply committed, and have great outstanding resources because great resources with great people and determination make make for real enduring value and i know at ioneer we we have that the combination in place and i absolutely concur with that and just add you know travel safe and enjoy your families stay (laughs) healthy amen